0: I'm Yamoka Rodriguez, and this is the Brand Therapist Podcast, where we come together and dive deep into the psychology of branding. We live in a new era that asks us to step up and show our individuality, learn what makes us unique and different in this world. Let's open the door to possibilities so you can win in business, life, and relationships, because everything starts with you.
1: Hello, Alex. I'm so excited to have you. Welcome to the Brand Therapist podcast, and you are on my couch today, so I get to ask you a whole bunch of fun questions, and we get to hear from you. But before we get started, I'm going to read your bio. Alex is the Senior Vice President, Chief Sustainable Officer, and Director of ESG for Brown Forman. Wow, lots of acronyms right there. Yes. (laughs) In this senior leadership role, reporting to the CEO, Alex is responsible for developing and implementing an integrated ESG, Environmental Social Governance, strategy that ensures Brown Forman's growth ambitions are environmentally and socially sustainable. In this role, he is responsible for the company's work on alcohol responsibility. Alex joined Brown Foreman in 2007 as the Director of Bottling Operations based in Louisville, Kentucky. Over time, his responsibility has increased across the production operations, leading him to serve as the Vice President General Manager of Casa Herradura in Guadalajara, Jalisco, Mexico. Prior to his role, He served as a chief production officer covering Brown Foreman's global supply chain and manufacturing footprint, as well as production, innovation, engineering, safety, quality, environmental, sustainability. And in 2019, his role expanded to include the title of chief sustainability officer, leading the company's efforts around global sustainability. I won't read any more. You have like three more paragraphs in there. But I also know that you used to work at Procter & Gamble. Yes, Uh, I did. So we have that similarity and that culture together, and you've been a great friend as well and a huge Hispanic leader, so we're going to talk all about that. So tell us, Alex, tell us about what you're doing, what are you up to, what's what's going on in your life?
2: First, thank you for having me. So this, this is an honor being here, interviewed by you, a great friend, and uh, talking about what I have been able to accomplish, which actually I don't think I've done much. And then before you turn the camera on, we started talking about some examples that kind of made me blush. But anyway, so what have we been up to? As you read on the introduction, I've changed roles. So I used to lead the supply chain for Remember, Foreman, we are a, a premium, super premium spirits company. So we Jack Daniels is our most famous brand. And uh, we distribute it and make it. Well, we make it in Lynchburg, but we distribute it all over uh, the world, 170 countries. And then tequilas, which I love. And then many, many other brands. But we are mostly a whiskey company based here in Louisville, Kentucky. But so I went from running the operation, and my career coach told me I need to stop saying that I'm a manufacturing nerd because I'm not. I'm a maker. Now that's the new thing, right? So I'm a maker. So I've been a maker my whole life. And it wasn't until four months ago or five months ago that I went into full-time doing something that I also passionate about, which is sustainability and ESG, which is environmental, social, and governance structure for brown format. So what I've been doing, I've been going back to school to learn more about ESG, to figure out how do I take 30 years of supply chain experience and turn it into something that we can do in sustainability. I've been actually doing what's called stakeholder assessment. So talking to a bunch of people about Brown Foreman and outside of Brown Foreman to understand what they care about, why they care about it and what should we do about it. And then enjoying the summer with my family. So I got two daughters that are here for the summer and a lake house where we spend a lot of time. So
1: Yes, I've been trying to get to that lake house of yours sometime, but calendars aren't working out.
2: I know you're going to <laughs> Norway, I hear, which... so. We need to talk about about that later. later.
1: (laughs) So, now that we kind of got through that piece, I wanted to ask you, and I know we were talking about this prior, is what is your fame story, right? Everybody has a fame story. We're all famous for something. I know your fame story came out of (laughs) like left hand or whatever you call that, like out of nowhere. So, tell us about that story.
2: Well, the first thing is when I read that question, I said, I'm not famous, I'll call you when I'm famous. And then you reminded me of the fame story and I'm like, darn, she's right. So the the fame story, it was really interesting, right? I was honored to be recognized as one of the top most influential, 100 most influential Latino leaders, business leaders in the United States. What's interesting is I didn't even know about it. And a friend of mine from Mexico, I don't know how she got the article, and actually it was her husband. And he's like, Alex Alvarez, isn't that your friend? So she calls me, she's like, congratulations. And I'm like, why? So like, oh, you've been recognized in us being this amazing leader. And I, I mean, I literally had no idea. So she sent me the article and uh, I'm like, is this for real? So I actually went on the website, found the article. This is a legit publication. And then, of course, then I was very proud and I started sharing around with people. But it was my prior role as a chief production officer for Brown Forman. I mean, Brown Forman is a top 1,000 corporations in the state. you know, S&P 650, I think. And uh, big organization, have done a lot, long tenure. So I am actually was the longest tenured uh, supply chain officer or or world production officer for Brown Forman. And uh, they, in their... Story, You know, they talk about all of the things that I had accomplished as a leader for Brown Foreman. All of it is public. I mean, it wasn't like I submitted an application and uh, I'm like, well, darn, maybe I have done some stuff.
1: You have. Look at that accomplishment. That's pretty amazing. You're at the top 100 Hispanic leaders in the U.S. and you don't even know it. Like you don't even know that you're on there. They've gotten all your information. They have figured it all out and they they didn't even tell you about it, which is pretty amazing. Pretty incredible. Usually when you're on something like that, you, you know about it and you're waiting for it to come out, you were just like, what is this? I don't know what anybody's talking about, which is pretty, pretty incredible. That's a huge honor. That said, I know you well, but tell the the listeners about your personal brand. What would you say is your personal brand?
2: Before I answer the question of personal brand, you got to know a little bit about my personal story. Perfect. Right? So, oh, so-
1: yes, yes. So, Actually, let's do this before we go on. And you're totally right. I kind of messed up the order of where we're going because we were talking so much about the fame story. I forgot (laughs) to ask you the number one question that I ask here because this show is called the Brand Therapy Show, right? We can't talk about therapy if we don't talk about our childhood. So I want to ask you before you go into that story, if it wasn't about your childhood, I want you to tell me a childhood story that connects you back to your accomplishments and what you do today?
2: So (laughs) I said I was a maker, I'm a builder. So personal story, when I was, I don't know, eight or nine, I'm originally from Panama, right? So my dad went to the UK and uh, brought back my mom this amazing creams and lotions, English, high-end, whatever, They were in these really cool jars. So I'm eight or nine. I'm big into chemistry and stuff and engineering and learning about stuff. So I had a microscope Mm -hmm. and I thought that those jars would be amazing specimen holders. So I dump all the lotions. I'm still alive. Thank you, mom. Love you. And... (laughs) I dumped all the lotions and took the jars to a creek that was by my house to collect specimens so that I could look at things under the microscope. And that's part of who I am. I am very inquisitive. I ask a lot of questions and uh, I like science and I mean, I'm an engineer and that it's a little bit of me growing up in Panama. Um, Yeah, I would
0: have killed you. (laughs)
2: <laughs> I, I, would, I would used to get together with my cousins and we would build these amazing cities of Legos and Lincoln Logs. But for me, it was way more fun building that it was playing with them. So we would build them and then I would have my dog come in like Godzilla and destroy them. And then we'll do it again.
1: I love that. So that really tells a lot about why you do what you do today and, and your whole thing around being a maker. I love that story. And, you know, engineers are makers just naturally that's what you tend to do as an engineer is you make things you build things you do things and you see it tear down and you build it back up and you do it again it's just the fun of actually making which i love okay now let's go on to your personal brand what is your personal brand
2: again just back to the personal story so my brand is built on who i am i'm a maker that's part of my brand, and. Uh, I'm an immigrant. That's a very important part of my brand, right? So I'm a Latino. That is also a very important part of my brand. Podemos hablar en español anytime. And I am someone that is highly committed to my family. So familia is also very important to my brand. When you put it all together, it's kind of funny because now I need some therapy to figure out what my brand statement is. You know, what is the foundation of my brand? But those are the huge building blocks of my brand. I engage making things close to my family and exceedingly proud of being an immigrant in in the United States, in this great country.
0: I
1: love that. And, you know, I also know that family is very important to you, but your extended family is also very important to you. We do a nonprofit together and I saw your texts around the breakfast. So that's the time when you get your extended family together. Let's have this breakfast. Let's join in. Let's build community, right? I can see that's so extremely important to you. And I love that trio of all those coming together. So let me ask you this. What's your greatest fear?
2: So I have suffered from imposter syndrome for many, many years. Uh, My greatest fear is that I am actually an imposter, right? Is that uh, although I is like, okay, fake it until you make it, or if you try hard enough, you'll get there. My greatest fear is actually not being able to get there. And when I'm being challenged, whether it's at work or with my family, I lean into it. And this is this might be part of my curiosity, right? So that I can understand and I can get the information I need. So that I can make it, so that I can understand and I can be successful. So that's my my greatest fear is that the imposter thing is actually a reality.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think we all go through that. You know, I, I have a lot of clients that are we get their whole brand ready to launch, and they freak out. And it's like, am I going to be able to do this? You know, am I the right person to do this? Do I have the credentials? It's just, I think we all go through that. It's visceral. It's like yeah. we can't. Roll it.
2: Well, when I got promoted to become the chief production officer of Brown Foreman, I had only, I mean, I've been a Brown Foreman for seven, eight years, something like that. But, you know, Brown Foreman, for those of you that don't know, it's again, Spirits Company, long tenure people, long people. We love the company. We love the culture. So when they tapped my shoulder, and said, the CEO said, hey, do you want to do this? It was kind of like being on this list. I didn't even know I was on the list to be asked to lead. Right. So the question was, why me? Isn't there these older people that have been here longer or no longer? And of course I dream job, so I took it, but it took me a while to understand why me. And it made sense. And you know, I'm very happy I had the opportunity to lead. But yeah, it's a yeah, little so nerve wracking.
1: So to that point, what do you think was holding you back from that experience?
2: Again, if I Go back to the roots. Immigrant Latinos typically don't get viewed at those levels. So it's probably my own self saying, no, 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 that's not you, right? Or your humble beginnings, if you want to think of it that way. And it feels bad saying that because that's not the case, really. That's probably what one of the big reasons is because I had some doubts that my ability to succeed in a place That is, I'm the only one like me.
1: Yes. Yes, I can totally see that. It's so funny because a lot of times I think we don't, aren't aware of it or we don't acknowledge it. But then when you really think about it, it's like, they asked me like, what were the things that were holding you back? And I think, first of all, I'm Hispanic. Second of all, I'm a woman, right? And so as you add those up, you don't really see them as barriers But they are barriers in society because that's where we live, right? It's all part of society and how people look at you. Actually, one of my students, which I thought was a genius idea, I teach uh, an elective design thinking, and they had this whole thing around doing this job fair because they're all, you know, from different countries, different ethnicities, and they were going to do a blind job fair. And I thought that was genius. And they were going to put voice things so they couldn't hear if you had an accent. Accent, uh And and they were going to blindfold you so you couldn't see the person. And I was like, love, love, love the idea because that's how this world should function.
2: I probably, you know about this, but what happens in orchestras, right? So when they started doing blind tryouts, you know, women who had less than 10% participation in major orchestras Started making them in, making it in because there was no bias. The conductors could only hear the instrument. And I uh,
1: love that. I didn't know that, but that's yes. going to put that one on my list. Oh yes. my God, I love that. So, going on to this unbiased or kind of what's holding us back is, you know, we all have, you have a coach, we all have some sort of mentors that really help us to get to where we are. Can you tell me a story of a particular one and how that person kind of helped you to move forward?
2: At a a different place, different time, I was moved assignments and uh, it was like not the right place to go. And I was really upset, you know? So I was like, why is this happening? So I called this coach of mine, long-term mentor, and his name is Alan. And I'm like, Alan, this happened. And it's like, what are you crying about? This is the best thing that could have happened to you. And I'm like, it doesn't feel good. It's like, oh no, you feel should feel good because now they put you in a position in which you are you are forced to decide is this what you want to continue to do? Or are you gonna go and actually go out in the world and find out how much the world wants you? Right. And he was right. So if, if it hadn't been For I mean, I probably would have gotten there eventually, but he was like, no, 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 no. Don't think of it that way. Think of it this way. And let me help you elevate yourself so that you can see what the external world sees in you versus what you're seeing in yourself.
1: And, you know, it's so interesting that you say that because I think a lot of times... If we were just talking to ourselves, oh my God, where would we be? You know, we can be our worst critic, our worst everything, right? And so it's important to hear other people's perspective. And this was a long lesson of mine, but I always ask myself that question. If I get in a crossroads, I always say, why is this coming now? And is it t- trying to tell me something? Is it trying to tell me? to do something different? Is it trying to tell me to continue? Like, what is it trying to tell me? Because a lot of times we get confronted with these things or these, you might call them problem challenges, whatever you want to call them. And that's the moment where we have to grow, right? Where we have to figure out the new path for ourselves. So I love that. I love that you have um, somebody that can bounce that back at you and, and give you a different perspective. I always talk to my friends like I'm in this dilemma. Luckily, I have a friend that's a coach, and so <laughs> I'm like, I'm in this dilemma. What do you think? And she's like, Well, I think this. And you know, she asked me the same thing. To me, I, I'm more of like a therapist in a way. So I'm like, Oh, what about this? And maybe it's telling you this because I don't feel you're really like. So we help each other out and. And I see, I do see her as, as a mentor to me when we go out or when I have an issue or whether it's personal or work-wise, you know, we can always talk to each other on that, but then you always need somebody because we don't get to where we are by ourselves. And like you said, you know, it's like, we need people to help us and talk to us and tell us, even if we don't do what they say, but it's so important to see that. So tell me maybe one or two challenges you've faced in the last few years, whether it's personal or work-wise?
2: So I led the supply chain for Ron Foreman. So everything that is happening right now with supply chains and being able to make things move and COVID. So the last two years were very, very, very challenging for very, very different reasons, right? So the first year with COVID, it was, how do you keep the organization running, people engaged, and at the same time, caring for their mental health and their physical health? Because people were literally afraid that COVID was going to do major damage to them and their families. So that, as you were saying earlier, you know those places of challenge and adversity make you grow. Right. So expand you. Um, no pain, no gain. So there was a lot of gaining because I had to step away from leading the business to caring for the people while I led the business. You know that I am not. I'm not an uncaring leader. Of course, it's easy for me to say. Ask my people. They'll tell you I'm a caring person. But you had to start caring at a different level. You had to then engage with the organizations and talk to them and help them understand what you were doing and then act on things. Because if something happened and you put the business ahead of the people, then you immediately made the point that said, oh, no, no, this is about words and not about actions. So it was, that was an incredibly hard balance to maintain through that year.
1: Oh, my God. I mean, so many of us, right? And I think the whole world had to learn to shift and make changes and learn new things fast. And it just made us all grow very quickly in different spaces.
2: And I'm an extrovert. And I was stuck in this little <laughs> office you see. You know, I'm in my home office. And uh, thank God it's on the first floor. I like wanted to jump out the window and to harm myself because I couldn't take it anymore. But that's exactly the point, right? It is how do you put that aside because you do have responsibilities and you do have something that is, I'm going to call it a higher calling. So that's one of the challenges. I mean, and the other challenge, we won't talk about supply chains. I'll start crying now. I mean, but on a personal side, you know, my mom and my sister got COVID in Panama mm-hmm. and they were almost taken by the illness and being completely powerless, away from them, not being able to travel. There was nothing you could do and uh, was also an extremely difficult time for me and for my whole family, of course. But it is how do you engage, find the positive and support each other so that at the end you can succeed. And uh, thank God both of them are great. My mom just came and spent a few weeks with me visiting here in Kentucky. That puts life in perspective, right? So what's important? No, this is more important, right?
1: Yes, exactly. And even at work, you learn things like, it's not just work as priority, right? It's the people and the support they get and the mental wellness and really being empathetic at the workplace Mm -hmm. with all those things that come at you, right? I'm sure a lot of workplaces suffered during COVID And it was because all these things got thrown at you at once, you know, it wasn't like one or the other, but it's like all these things. And you had to figure out as, you know, a company leader and how you would manage all those different parts of what was happening. So, yeah, it's a lot. So tell me now that we've talked about those, what are the lessons learned?
2: To me, lesson number one is, again, goes back to my brand, Familia so whether it is my work family or whether it is my home family the caring that you have to put in there in order for you to ensure that they are successful and through them you're successful is really 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 important you know so so to me that was a huge a huge learning another one again back to my brand of the maker we were solving problems that we didn't know we even had right so it was and something i learned a long time ago and it's a principle that i make decisions it is not right or wrong is different so withhold judgment learn and then make a judgment whether what you're doing is or whether what somebody else is asking you to do is right or wrong and we had to do that we had to pivot in our feet every day and you could sit here and you could listen to an idea and you go, that's wrong. And then this is where you have to step back and say, no, no, it's a different idea. It is not right or wrong. It's different. So let's yeah. learn about it. Let's talk some more. Let's withhold judgment and then let's go execute because those were the ideas that were moving us forward and trying to do the same thing over and over again. It wasn't working. So that was another very, very important part. So the caring. The being agile and being able to look at ideas differently, look at concepts differently. was something that that was a key learning for me? And I would say that the, the third learning for me had to do with engagement, but at the same time, giving up control. So I was highly engaged with my team. I was highly engaged with my family because of what was going on at home. But I couldn't do it all. Right. So I had to say, no, you guys do this and you show me how it's done and you help me understand and you take the lead versus hyperactive type A kind of guy that I am, you know, wanting to do more. And the answer was, no, you can't do more. Everyone has to do more in their own way. And uh, so staying engaged, but giving no control.
1: Well, and that gives people it empowers people, right? Yeah. To do the right yeah, thing, to do what, what they have to do. Even if they make a mistake, it's okay because you know it can be fixed and, and you can move forward. But that's part of leading. You can't micromanage everything and you can't do everything. And I'm sure sh- and you I'm sure you learned that very quickly. Like there's only 12, you know, there's only eight hours in a day, maybe 12 for you. <laughs> but you know, there's certain wow. Yeah, I got to sleep. Yeah, exactly. So you can be okay for the next day or in the challenges that come up the next time.
2: Well, and I, I don't know if you learned, if you remember this long time ago, p talked about the three E's, actually the four E's, envision, energize, and enable, and then execute. So get the results, right? But to me, this two years have reinforced over and over and over again that learning that I had 30 years ago that says, no, I need to, in this case, envision, we had already the vision. I knew exactly what we needed to do, where we were going. So my role was more about energizing my team and then enabling them to do the work through empowerment, communication, and agility and take away the barriers, right? So as a leader, those three things became crystal clear.
1: I love that because we have so much foundation from a company that taught us so much. You know, I'm always very, um, how do I say, like honored. And I'm so glad that I was part of that culture. And just like I say, I have a PhD in everything just yeah. from working at Proctor for so many years And I've got to interview a few Proctor people on here. And they're also amazing and doing amazing things, incredible things. And it's just so great to see that culture moving forward and going on. And we we all have different, you know, we come from different areas. Like I'm in design, you were in engineering. I talked to somebody in marketing and the other person was also in design. So it's just interesting how you get an understanding of all the functions, right? And understand what are their struggles and how do you get yourself involved in those things and make sure that we're all working together and those principles, it helps everybody. And that's what really culture in a company should be is for people to come together on common ground and be able to execute and understand where everybody is, right? Mm -hmm. That's the importance of culture is to make sure that everybody's aligned and everybody's in the same place so they can move forward together. And that's one thing that Procter & Gamble does really, 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 really well.
2: I, I joke with people, I say that I got my first MBA at BNG right.
1: and <laughs> Exactly, exactly. So let me ask you this, what's next for Alex Alvarez? What's next? What's five, 10 years from now?
2: What well, speak to you yourself. T- t- I'm an old guy, not that old, but I'm an old guy. So I am, I'm gonna call it on the later stages of my career versus the earlier stage in my, my career. So so to me, I think, and I hate the word legacy building, I don't like that, but it is part of what I'm thinking about, you know, is so how do I make an impact at the place that I work, not by my work, but by my advocacy of people and by my engagement with my familia so that I help them be successful. So this is not a, I want to leave my mark thing. No, no. This is much more about how do I bring people up along? How do I help them succeed? How do I coach people? So that's, that's one of my big things. So I am the executive sponsor for our employee resource groups. I've done it for the Latino group, did it for the, um, Women, now I have the Black, the African-American group. Uh, Sorry, I also had the veterans with me. And it's about building community, ensuring that they're successful, ensuring that they have the support that they need, and that I can be a voice for them. And then the work that we're doing in the community in here in Louisville, working with the Latinos, right? So the Louisville Hispanic Chamber of Commerce, again, trying to help the Latino community find a voice, a place to come together. So, that we can have the right influence based on our size here in mobile. So, to me, that's part of what I'm working on. And then, on the career standpoint, new job, learning all of that. But the longer term is I wanna hopefully grow to become a member of a board of directors of some for profit corporations, you know, either private or public, so that then I can help lead at a different level, right? So, again, it's coaching management, setting strategy, and uh, helping people develop but sitting at the board level not in the in the management team level so so those oh, are my two goals
1: i love that so now i remember a few years ago maybe it's changed but when i went to look for you i couldn't find you on linkedin so tell us where can we find you where are you
2: i am on linkedin now <laughs> you can find me alex alvarez and friend me <laughs> right. and then that's about it because I do have a Facebook thing, but I'm not active in social media, any other social media. I'm active on WhatsApp, but I'm not going to give you my phone number.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I have it. So you don't have to give it to no, me.
2: Yeah, yeah. You and I
1: <laughs> right. Right. So yes, that's great. Thank you so much, Alex, for being on the show. I am so honored and so grateful to have you as a friend and this has been so much fun. Learned more about you than I already know. So I, that's why I love doing this. And so I hope maybe we can interview you maybe next year or something and see what you're doing then and where oh, you're at and what's happening.
2: It's going to be great. So yes, let's do that. And no, thank, again, as I said at the beginning, thank you for inviting me. It's an honor to be here with such a respected therapist. And then... Take time to go to my LinkedIn Jamaica and, you know, give me brand critique. See what you think.
1: (laughs) All right, we'll do so. So thank you so much, Alex. And we
0: loved having you and we'll see you on the next round. Thank you for listening to The Brand Therapist. If you enjoyed today's episode, please subscribe, rate and review this podcast on your favorite pod player. If you'd like to connect with me on social, you can find me at Yamoka Rodriguez Branding, Bespoke Branding Agency, or email me at yamilka at yamilka.com. Thanks for listening.